0: It means better for people, planet,
1: and animals. There's a whole other problem that we found even more specific within seafood, and that was tuna.
0: And that means we make protein that's delicious and nutritious, ethical and sustainable, natural and plant-based, and versatile and easy to prepare.
1: In the future, we're going to apply certain things like biotechnology. So this is a a pretty emerging and important part of our companies. We'll use certain processes. What the? Broadcasted from Silicon Valley, the most innovative spot on earth. Corporate, the place for corporate executives that transforms innovative threats into into business business opportunities. opportunities. And now, let's get ready to rumble with the host, Tommaso.
2: And hello, good morning from San Francisco, everybody. Uh, Kicking off our, our top floor. Uh, we have an amazing lineup of uh, industry fellows. Uh, my name is uh, Tommaso. Thanks also for the audience uh, for joining. Um, I'm uh, responsible for, uh, for the Silicon Valley Institute and running also awesome ventures as a, as a founding partner as a venture fund. Today, we're kicking off things with our series uh, called uh, Top Floor. Well, Top Floor is a, uh, a series, an episode where we handpick uh, startups And we have a great lineup today here uh, that present basically a sector-specific innovations to a jury. And I will welcome also the jury in a second of Industry Fellows. We are already in our first episode of the second season. And the second season is completely dedicated to the topic of alternative protein. And while here on the startup side, we have today, Christopher Kong tuning in from London. And Jacek Pruss, Pruss Pruss, is it correct, Jacek?
1: Pruss Pruss, but I prefer Pruss, if you yeah, can. Pruss, okay, Jacek yeah, Pruss. Yeah. Pruss. Um,
2: uh, remind me, in Berlin, right? In, in Berlin, representing the startups. And on the jury side, We have Israel tuning in from Brazil. Neil from India. And myself as a jury, um, that we will have a couple of questions after your presentation, guys. And without further ado, Christopher, you're ready to take over. I was about to say the stage, but the screen, right? And then I'll be, uh, from from a logistical perspective, you have 10 minutes, and then followed by five minutes to your jury of, uh, of Q&A, which is roughly a, a question per jury. So please take it from here, Christopher. Thanks for being here.
0: Absolutely. No, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am uh, Christopher Kong. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Better Nature. So at Better Nature, our mission is to make protein the better way. And what does the better way mean? It means better for people, planet and animals. As you all know, our current rate of meat consumption is just simply unsustainable. Um, We also know that it's unhealthy and it's very inherently uh, not great for all the animals that are involved as well. And what do we do? We make protein the better way. And that means we make protein that's delicious and nutritious, ethical and sustainable, natural and plant-based, and versatile and easy to prepare. So as we all know, last year was truly the year that plant-based food really burst into the mainstream. You know, it's no surpri- you know, it's not a surprise to anyone that plant-based foods has arrived and is really here to stay. However, while the plant-based food market was exploding, we felt that it wasn't adhering to one of the main reasons why people are adopting plant-based foods and its health. Uh, In a study published last year by the university, by researchers at the University of Johns Hopkins, it was found that costs and health concerns were driving consumers to the adoption of plant-based foods, not necessarily uh, people's concern about environment and animal welfare. However, with all that in mind, to get some more numbers on that, you know, 65% of consumers, you know, were looking for tasty products. And quite importantly, 41% of consumers were looking for plant-based food products that were free from any artificial ingredients. However, when we look at what's currently available on the market with modern-day meat analogs, we find that they're mainly used using, so mainly made using texturized vegetable proteins. That sure were high in protein and versatile, and you know can be can have the taste profiles modulated but they typically contain massive ingredient lists with loads of ultra-process and, um, you know, artificial ingredients, and they're also, you know, generally speaking, quite expensive. However, old-school meat alternatives that were all-natural weren't really quite cutting it either because modern-day consumers were looking for meat alternatives that could look and cook just like meat. So the answer to this conundrum is tempeh. And that's what we're all about. Tempeh is this delicious, nutritious, and all natural food ingredient that's made using fermented beans and made using a process known as tempeh fermentation. Tempeh fermentation is a food processing technology that originated in Indonesia 300 years ago. And effectively what it does is that it takes any bean, nut, legging, grain, or seed, so any really seed, and it converts it into a nutritious, and super versatile meat alternative. It, in, uh, it increases its protein content by about 22%, decreases its fat content by about 39%, and you end up with a meat alternative that is a complete source of protein with a significantly smaller carbon footprint than beef. And as I said before, it's incredibly versatile. You can slice it and dice it, marinate and cook in all the ways that you traditionally cook your meat. At Better Nature, we are the world's first food tech company focused on this process of fermentation and innovation. We were founded in October, 2018. And since then we've developed technologies that allow us to reduce the fermentation time from what typically takes 36 hours down to 18. And we've also figured out ways to improve the nutritional quality of the end products such that our tempeh is the world's richest plant-based source of vitamin B12, a micronutrient that we know know, meat eaters and plant-based and people who adhere to plant-based diets alike are looking for in their diets. So since developing these technologies, we've also brought new products to market. Uh, We actually very excitingly just launched these products in May, having and we launched in January with this range as well. So we only launched about four and a half months ago and um, I guess since then, you know our, our growth rate has been incredibly strong. Um, our sales actually in April uh, would double those in March. Um, and our March sales would triple those in February and January. So uh, we're growing incredibly rapidly and we have ambitions to really get our products into the largest online and offline retail channels uh, in the UK where we are currently based. And we truly feel that the UK is probably one of the most exciting markets in the world for plant-based meat alternatives. Last year, annual meat free sales exceeded a billion dollars. A third of the UK population, so roughly 22 million people, are looking to either completely eliminate or reduce their meat consumption. And almost a quarter of all evening meals consumed last year were entirely plant-based. And and these figures are only expected to grow over time. Who are the people behind Bed Nature? Well, myself, as I said before, I am in I'm head of business development. Um, I've got a background in um, consulting, where so I used to work for McKinsey, and also have a background in venture capital, where I used to work as a venture analyst at Founders Factory, uh, which is one of the UK's leading accelerator and incubators. My co-founders are Ando Fabio, Fabio, and Ellen. Ando graduated, you know, with a PhD on tempeh fermentation from the University of Massachusetts Amherst, which is which, you know, typically, typically considered to have the US's highest rated PhD program, where he specifically did his PhD on tempeh fermentation, making him one of the world's leaders in the field. Uh, my co-founder Ellen, who's a head of marketing, studies psychology at the University of Oxford, and mm-hmm. has experience working for some of the UK's most prestigious marketing agencies. And one of my other co-founders, Fabio, who's Head of Product Development, uh, graduated summa cum laude with a dual masters in both human nutrition and food science um, from the University of Perugia, one of Italy's best universities. And prior to joining us at Better Nature was Head of Product Development for a growth stage uh, business in the UK called 3F Bio, where they specifically focus on developing products using plant-based ingredients. Since founding the business in late 2018, we won the Best Start Award at the 11th Protein Summit. Uh, We also won other awards. We were rated the Best Start of the cohort at the ProVeg Incubator Program based out of Berlin. And uh, last September, we had the fortunate um, pleasure to travel to San Francisco to be invited invited out to San Francisco uh, to pitch at the Good Food Institute's conference, the Good Food Conference, where one of six startups worldwide that are invited to pitch. And you know, our mission is to truly make tempeh a mainstream food ingredient. So beyond just meat alternatives, we believe that we can leverage our deep understanding of tempeh to produce dairy products, produce bakery and confectionery products as well. We are better nature and we make protein the better way. Thank you very much
2: excellent christopher and also excellent in time congratulations on that i know i've been uh, four times on the startup side so far and uh, i know that timing is something very important and challenging to convey especially innovation so again congratulations very clear so now we switch over to our serious uh well a round of questions right and we would like to kick off things with uh, Israel. Israel, what's your question to Christopher?
3: Okay, I have a question, Christopher. First, uh, congratulations. Your presentation is very clear, very interesting, and uh, you have a, a good team. I think that one of the biggest challenges of the alternative protein is to give consumers an experience equal to that of first by the current protein and the uh, in favor ended testory, uh, simulation a traditional barbecue. How do you think about proposing this experience for the futury? Because this is a the futury alternative
0: protein, I think mm-hmm. it Absolutely, yeah. So if I understand you correctly, it's how, you know, I guess from the plant-based industry as a whole, how do we simulate the experience that people have come to be accustomed with when consuming animal-based protein products? Is that, is that the question? I mean, I, I think uh, we're incredibly close as an industry in general. Um, if we look at what Beyond has achieved, what um, Impossible has achieved, a lot of the products are effectively indistingu- indistinguishable from what animal products can provide, um, we're already there with milk, right? I, I think dairy, as in cheese, you know, still has a little bit of, of you know room to grow, but it's 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 just a factor of time. It's just a factor of time at which innovation will trump what you know what animal products can can offer, and plant-based products will be able to offer even better. And the reason why is because we can engineer plant-based products to opti- and optimize them for centuries, for for certain sensory qualities that we can't engineer meat for, right? And if we think about whole cut pieces of meat. Uh, we are developing 3D printing technologies that can produce full cut pieces of meat and uh, we're growing them using um, fungal mycelium. So we can, you know, there's so many things that we can tweak uh, when it comes to plant-based proteins uh, or even cell-based proteins to really create the best sensory experience for the end customer. Speaking about Better Nature specifically, our, I guess our core hypothesis is that, yes, as much as we can, we want to maximize the sensory experience for the end consumer. However, if we look at the facts, the main reason why people are reducing their meat consumption isn't necessarily because they want to find something else that tastes exactly like meat. They're looking for something that does the same job, but does it much healthily, much more healthily right? So it is to no surprise to anyone that coronary heart disease and other chronic diet related diseases is currently the world's number one killer, right? We were all freaking out about coronavirus, but coronavirus has even come close. So people all over the world are looking for ways to improve their diet, to make them more healthy, um, but without compromising on the, you know, on, on the, the enjoyment of the food. Awesome. Taking that hypothesis Our mission at Bed Nature is to produce the best all-natural meat alternative products that we can provide. So meat alternative products that can be consumed as a staple without compromising on people's health, without having to use any of these ultra-processed or artificial ingredients. And we believe we found the answer by leveraging tempeh fermentation, which is truly miraculous because not only does it increase the protein content and give and, and and you know give our products an excellent nutritional you know and, and nutritional profile. For example, our products have the same quantity of protein as grilled cod and grilled mackerel, right? Uh, are low in fat, low in sodium, low in saturated fat. It also gives it that texture. The fermentation process also binds whatever plant-based substrate you give it, whether it's soybeans or lupin beans or chickpeas. It binds it and gives it that meaty texture, which makes it super versatile.
2: Thank you yeah. so much. Let's let's uh, I think I think you answered already great part of the question. Uh, let me already Christopher go ahead with my questions uh, in the industry of alternative uh, protein. When we got into the go to market strategy uh, on one hand, you have you know the investment costs on the R&D side and the innovation that you guys bring up, but there is a wave of products on the market. The real competition starts when you hit uh, traditional retail challenges, right? So what's your go-to-market strategy? How are you going to be different in your go-to-market strategy? What are your thoughts on the marketing side to, to, to stand out between all the, the products that are on the shelf that are compared to traditional to traditional products or to new products? What are your thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess it's really two questions: one, go to market, and two, how do we differentiate? Right. So, um, to answer your first, your second question, um, how are we differentiated? You know, we believe that plant-based foods are is here to stay, and we believe that you know consumers will you know where, whereas now consumers are picking up, for example, beyond meat products in the same basket where they pick up other beef products right this will only progress in the favor of the plant-based base mm. over time and um, i think coronavirus has done in many ways a service to the industry in light of what's happening right now in supply chains um you know in, in, in meat in meat processing supply chains and as the consumer is looking to adapt or adopt more plant-based foods into a diet that my hypothesis is that they'll be looking for just healthier options, options yeah. that they consume, they can consume day in, day out without having to to, to worry about what's in the stuff, right? And if you look at most food products in the market right now, and you look at the back and you look at what's in there in the ingredients list, it's massive, you know, 20 plus ingredients of all sorts of stuff. You know, I think consumers will be looking for just more simple, wholesome, high quality food product products. And that's where we come in And we can provide that, you know, for example, our, our most complicated product has seven ingredients, all of which are organic, all of which is all natural at a price point that is comparable to, you know, animal-based products. And yeah, I guess without, you know, without having to compromise on the taste and the nutritional quality. So that's on how we differentiate on how we go to market. We've, from the get-go, we knew that the one-to-one connection between us and the customer was absolutely key, right? And we're still very much in the very early days of our go-to-market strategy. You know, We've only been trading for four and a half months. So e-commerce from the get-go, you know, back when we started in January, was something we really focused on because we knew that we had to establish a brand. We knew that we had to command the consumer's attention in what is becoming an increasingly you know, crowded space so by pushing on that and by insisting that consumers purchase from our website we have their attention and we have their email addresses we know exactly where they live we know the demographics we're able to you know i guess modify our retail strategy based on what we're seeing through our e-commerce platform so at the moment today you know i guess partly helped by covid um 70 of our sales are online
2: Wow, di- directly. So, meaning online, not online sure. through direct online.
0: Yeah. Okay,
2: yeah. Neil, <laughs> take it from here. No, you asked questions. You ask it's question. Right,
4: right. So, it's a great presentation. It seems to be a great product, great alternative. Um, there is no question that this market is there to be grabbed, um, and it's it's well established. Some of the basic questions that I had were: Is it available in? It has. Does it have to be frozen? captain in uh, a temperature or uh, it can be in a uh, proper normal shelf space as well
0: right Yes. Yeah. so our products at the moment are chilled and be frozen absolutely for food service applications for example and i can see that we've got some questions from the audience as well about refrigeration so yeah it's currently distributed as a refrigerated product uh there are shelf stable options that we can explore but we feel that that in the same way that meat shouldn't be kept <laughs> shelf stable, right? Uh, we, fit, you know, the same the same applies for for tempeh, and we feel that shelf stable options does compromise on the taste of the product, um, quite significantly. Sure. Okay. sure.
4: From a uh, unit economic point of view, or from a pricing perspective, vis-a-vis other uh, alternative products available in the market, how how do you think your product will be able to match Catch up, or is it probably being at more premium or, or is it more cost? Uh, priced or yeah. more
0: I mean, if we think about it, you know, sort of just hypothetically, there's no reason why our products should be any more expensive than animal based products. And that is where we want to position ourselves one day. At the moment, it's just a scalability issue, right? Um, we just aren't able to command the scale um, that these animal-based you know, manufacturers can, and thereby our products are more expensive, right? But if we look at the inputs into the production of our products, the primary input, 98% of the input, is your raw plant-based substrate. You know, we use soybeans and lupin beans. And you know, they basically cost next to nothing because <laughs> they're being used to feed the animals, right? So what we're effectively doing is creating a process where Instead of taking the soybeans, feeding an animal, and then eating that animal, you take the soybeans, put it into a warm room, right? You ferment it, you put it into a warm room, and you end up with the end product. So the process of putting something into a warm room is certainly much cheaper than the process of feeding, looking after, processing an animal. So we believe that one day, at enough scale, our products can absolutely undercut those of animal-based products on the shelf. Yeah, there's no reason why it can't.
2: Well, awesome. Really good questions. And thank you, Christopher. But I would like also to bridge here and get into the next entrepreneur, the next speaker, Jason. You there? You're ready to rock the screen, not the stage? Please take it from here. Go ahead and uh,
1: share your screen. All right. Fantastic. Well, thanks, everyone, for, for having me. So at Kuliana, we're creating the next generation of seafood. Now, one reason we decided to go after this opportunity this field. So what you see is that global fish catch peaked 20 years ago, right about the mid 90s. And we've been using increasing uh, amounts of engine power uh, to capture the same amount, uh, the same uh, volume of, of seafood out in the oceans. Essentially, we're having to go further and further to find and um, locate these species that are disappearing. the The industry reacted by, you know, um, leveraging aquaculture. But there's a there's a whole other problem that we found even more specific within seafood, and that was tuna. So specifically with tuna, we found that populations were being decimated. If you look at Pacific bluefin tuna or southern um, southern Atlantic tuna. Uh, Pacific, uh, these populations are incredibly low, almost uh, 2% or below, so there's just not enough fish in the sea. Um, most of us are familiar with the health concerns of uh, e- eating especially um, raw tuna with mercury, and then there's just a whole th- uh, issue of crime, um, especially around seafood where there is very little regulation. An Oceana study found one in five fish uh, were stolen. One in, meaning illegally caught, one in three fish were mislabeled in the United States. And, um, and another study done with 32 different uh, tuna companies found that only 8% of those companies could say that their supply chain was slavery free, 8% of the major tuna companies in the world. So there's a lot of issues. And, um, you know, like I said earlier, a lot of companies have been tackling this um, supply problem with aquaculture, but it doesn't work for tuna. This is for two reasons. One is that you have to catch wild tuna and then put them into these pens to ranch them, to grow them, to fatten them. And that's just incredibly difficult because the populations are low. The second reason is because the feed conversion ratio as shown in this graph is incredibly inefficient. With cows at 6.8, tuna blow that, um, you know, out of proportion at 28 pounds. And this isn't even edible body mass conversion ratio, where you could take that number and easily triple it. So we saw a huge problem and we saw a huge opportunity. And our solution was to use plants to create uncompromising seafood. So Coolion is a food technology company and it creates its next generation of seafood through plants and biotechnology. And this right here is actually our first product. It's raw tuna. We went after something pretty difficult, something we didn't see in the market um, being addressed really well and it can be used in many ways in poke here's um here's one of the first formats that we're um, aiming to launch some of the initial um, customers we're talking to and also in other ways like in sushi and sushi rolls so something here that you're really using uh in maki and these are kind of the formats that are the best the best situated for, for a product at our stage and you know there's always going to be the future the product will always get better we're, we're tackling incredibly difficult uh, raw product and um, you know w- w- in the future we're going to apply certain things like biotechnology so this is a, a pretty emerging and important part of our companies we'll use certain processes that will recreate that delicate matrix you find in meat, and that's and that's quite innovative and personally i'm incredibly excited about this because uh, the impact is huge. We can not only apply this to our products but license that technology to other plant based meat and even cell based meat products so it 's uh, a huge a huge opportunity and something we 're really eager to pursue more and more and This is just a small portion of the the, the market we 're targeting. This is specifically sashimi when global sashimi is at ten point five billion market we 're just going to expand this because the issue is that. The, the supply cannot meet the demand. There's an increasing demand, especially in poke and sushi, growing all over the world. And one of the huge reasons that will outline why we can achieve such a good uh, margin with our product is because bluefin tuna sells at an incredibly high rate. So on the on the high end value, you can sell it for 80 euros per kilo. It's it's quite incredible. And and when you go you know lower towards uh, other market prices, it's still uh, hovering around 20 25 per kilo. So so tuna was an incredible opportunity for us. And, and the way we're gonna get this to customers is um, through, through food service. So obviously this has been impacted since um, Corona and we really see that we will, um, you know, pivot towards more uh, of retail food service centers. So areas and uh, Whole Foods and in the United States, there's a group called AFC Sushi that we are having some initial conversations with and they have 18,000 locations. And, and essentially raw tuna has met the market through food service. So this is naturally the way that we will move as well with our raw tuna product. And uh, you know, one of the reasons we pursued this, as I mentioned earlier, is because we can achieve an incredible margin with our product. And this unit economics really gives us a robust business model, keeps us, you know, our head above water. Uh, and I think this is especially important in the early days of a startup. And just a bit about the team. So people putting it together, first is my co-founder Sonia she's been um, you know a food scientist for over 13 years um, a world-class expert in texturization technology so from high moisture extrusion to power heaters she's worked with it all um, she worked at Quera, famous uh, foods for tomorrow and quite a few other companies where she's made plant-based meats uh, there's me i uh, was at the ProVeg incubator this is actually how me and chris know each other from the past I helped to establish this incubator. I was the first on the ground employee. An incredible experience because this incubator is focused specifically on plant-based, cell-based and other solutions that are replacing animals out of the food system. And it really, you know, allowed me a lot of learning and to build my network. We also have Ron Shugeta. If you attended the last um, uh, talk here, you, you would have seen him on the panel. Uh, incredible guy. He, he uh, hails from IndieBio, which is also a very uh, influential accelerator in our space that brought in a lot of the first clean meat companies. And Ron is working a lot on our uh, biotechnology arm of our company. He's a fantastic uh, teammate. And you know we also have quite a few other people here that I will not go ov- overly into detail, but an amazing team, an amazing group of people backing us. And we were recently funded by Y Combinator, quite a prestigious accelerator Um, and we're really excited about this partnership. We'll be starting their program next month. And this is a a bit about why we'll be focusing more and more in the United States. Now, you know, we obviously have been able to get some pretty interesting press coverage and speaking opportunities. I think this is some early form of validation for us before we start kicking off our sales and, you know, beyond all the consumer um, LOIs and contracts we're getting. We got quite a few press releases and we're excited to go speak at some conferences whenever they uh, get going again. There's obviously been quite a few delays. But yeah, this is, this is what we're doing. And really, this is all around our vision of um, you know, striving for a world where the food system protects and nourishes us, the animals and the environment alike. And, and we're doing this by creating that next generation of seafood without those environmental and ethical consequences. So you're off the hook. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Jasek, excellent, very intriguing. Well, let's start this time with uh, Neil.
4: Right, yeah, hi. Uh, Great presentation, uh, Jasek, and there's a great segment to be in right now, particularly in East Asia side of things. I mean, just from a go-to-market perspective, what are the geographies that you are planning to target and and how do you plan to go about and and whom do you see are your major competitors in, in that segment? Uh, I know some Singaporean startups uh, are working on it, but they are more cell-based. But uh, if you can just throw some perspective on that.
1: Sure. I mean, I could go into a lot of detail with you if you want afterwards, Neil, but I'll, I'll keep it at the high level. Uh, right yeah. now, we're targeting primarily the United States. It's a nice, homogenous market. The Western Coast has a lot of raw seafood consumption. And we're doing this through, like I said, uh, food service, but specifically, more recently, food service in the retail space. You know, as for, we also have quite a few customer conversations in, um, in Europe as well. And that's quite interesting for us too, especially in Spain. We're talking to another chain called uh, Kelly Deli, where they have a, a brand called Sushi Daily with over a thousand locations. And as well, and that's just, you know, these are nice conversations for us because we're, You know, when we secure a contract like that, we'll do a pretty nice launch. And that's part of our strategy in in, in being pretty, pretty fast with this product. We see this as a great opportunity. You know, it took us quite a long time and quite a lot of effort to create a product like this. It's not easy to create a raw meat. So we think that that's a nice form of defendability in terms of, you know, all the people entering. We have some pretty unique processes and formulations In the future, the biotechnology aspect of our company will be, um, you know, an incredible IP moat that we'll probably use to defend our own segments, but we do want to license that technology to other uh, companies in the space. And, you know, I think I love all the companies out there. From what we've seen, a lot of the plant-based ones are better at addressing the vegan consumer because they haven't really replicated the delicious experience of tuna as well. They've done it in in a different way. And the cell-based meat companies, I think they just still have a while to go. Hope they get there fast, but we're predicting that will be somewhere in about five years before market entry. So,
2: Well, thank you so much, Jacek. Israel, what's your question?
3: Okay. You have a good project. It's very interesting because I don't think in production, sea food. For me, it's very innovation. And how do you think production in large scale? this uh, this product and the do you think it yeah yeah of course so we're doing a lot of pilot
1: tests right now we actually have um a lot of co-packing set up so the reality is we can actually this is something we're quite excited about is we will be able to really expand the market because we can produce a lot of this material and currently the market is just bottlenecked on supply when you raise an apex predator like tuna takes a really long time our process is incredibly fast you know one of the nice things is we don't rely on the traditional technology of high moisture of of extrusion and this means we're not machinery capped we actually can use a lot of technology that traditional uh, meat processors use Um, so yeah we're you know we we can really make a lot of this stuff the the only um you know the only restriction right now is just the, the the capital we have in the in the in the company okay what's uh
3: self-life your products
1: yeah so if if you freeze the product which is how we plan on doing a lot of it the, the shelf life is i mean frankly it's incredibly long uh it's you know at least at least four months on the lowest end and that's um i mean but once you go lower on the freeze it will last about two years as we see this is like comparable to other tuna products that are kept in really cold temperature the reality is the product will be um, frozen and then it will be given to the chef and most of our consumers be at the pokey restaurant the sushi retailer the sushi restaurant they they will use the fish quite quickly you know we we have a a a five-day shelf life on the conservative end um, which is already longer than some quite a lot of the uh, seafood equivalents so this is actually quite a nice strong strength of our company because we think we'll be able to reduce food waste there and um, yeah, give the, give the sushi chef or the pokey chef something that's uh, you know, lasting a bit longer. Awesome,
2: well, thank you so much Israel. Thank you so much also on, on, on your question. Jacek, a question from my side is regarding the texture. So on one hand, you have the flavor, right, and, and, and the optics and the packaging, obviously a lot of moving parts, right? But when you get it to, 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 to meat and whatever, you know, you, you want to buy, do you, what's, what's your, what is the feedback from your focus group as, as we speak regarding the texture? How are you handling this topic of texture?
1: Incredible question. And this was already on the beginning of our minds when we first pursued this project over a year ago, that texture would be the most difficult element. If you look at Impossible Foods, if you look at Beyond Meat, as Christopher mentioned, awesome companies in the space, but they have not yet been able to recreate a full piece of meat. They're doing ground meat. Nobody has really done a good slab of unground, unprocessed, uh, unchopped meat. So you know, for, for us, we, we knew this would be incredibly difficult. And we've been running a lean ship. I mean, this is, this is a startup. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the feedback we've gotten is um, actually when you put it in a poke bowl, when you eat it in a sushi roll, people can't tell. Now, the, the reason we targeted this way, it's kind of like the hamburger or the ground beef of the seafood space, right? Mm-hmm. This is applicable. Now, obviously, if you eat the piece right next to a piece of raw tuna, you'll be able to tell the difference.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, One aspect is achieving density, right? The density of the material, it's not easy to replicate. So most density is achieved through high moisture extrusion with the processes of applying massive amounts of pressure and heat. Now the problem with this process is that it eviscerates a lot of the uh, moisture. So you'll see, this is actually the first way we were approaching making our product and um, we we got we got pretty lucky actually. We had a a partner of ours, incredible partner, huge uh, extruder expert, and um, they did a lot of trials. And they were like, guys, this is just not going to be possible. It's it, because the, the heat's got because the heat takes so much of the moisture. And so this is something we had to learn. Um, we had to start using different processes to increase the moisture. And in, you know, and now we have a process with a few different uh, temperature manipulations that you know it's created nice density great moisture level. I think the trick for us is just increasing the density of the material. I think we can, you know, with a bit of more capital, uh, we can, we can improve that. And I'm really bullish on our biotechnology element of the company because that, that is going to be, I think something truly innovative to buy, you know, to bind materials, um, in 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 an interesting way. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes and, you know, there's a lot of routes it can take, but, um, I think it's uh, it's an incredible opportunity for us.
2: Excellent. Well, Jasic, thank you so much. And also, well, now we're getting to the finale, right? And uh, and I uh, would like also to thank uh, Christopher. So this is how it goes with the finale. I'm launching right now, Paul, also for the audience, which is just saying, uh, which one did you like best, which doesn't mean actually too much, but it's always, you know, when you hear a presentation. The reason why we do this is really to connect, to learn together, and to experiment and drive experimentations, right? So I launched here a poll. Everybody's free to, uh, to contribute. But actually, I would like to bottom, bottom line this from our jury, right? And this is how it goes Israel and, and, and Neil will uh, uh, have a yes or a no, just really a yes or a no of uh, are you going to meet and follow up with every single. Uh, startup yes or no let's start with with Neil Neil you're going to meet uh, Christopher again uh, you are going to have a follow-up yes or no yeah yeah of course okay so you get a yes from uh, from Neil Christopher that's awesome Israel you're going to meet with uh, with Christopher yes or no? Uh, yes okay awesome so Christopher awesome outstanding for me you get a, a yes too so three yeses, awesome follow up. Now let's switch to Jacek. Israel, are you going to meet with JSEC regarding the tuna, yes or no? Yes, yes. Awesome, and how about Neil?
4: Yes, definitely.
2: Oh, three yeses because you get a yes from me too. So we have three follow ups, right? And uh, I think that this is exactly what, what value means, right? Uh, and how you build businesses and how you create, you know, you move ahead. So thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much, Israel. Thank you so much, Neil, Jacek, and Christopher, and also Lev And uh, you guys stay out of trouble, stay safe. And I always used to end my conversation with a quote, which is my quote, became my quote over the last 20 years in entrepreneurship, which is the following. Never forget where you come from, because it keeps you humble. But where you come from cannot limit you where you wanna go with that let's keep on kicking ass and drive innovation gentlemen thank you so much stay tuned see you next time bye bye
3: thank you thanks